Welcome into Somewhat Mobile, an original series from Aptopia where we talk shop with the best in the game, some of the brightest people in marketing, product, and more in order to add transparency to the mobile app ecosystem. I'm Adam Blacker, joined by my co-host Madeline Lenahan, and together we're responsible for all the content data made publicly available from Aptopia. With us today is David Sandstrom, Chief Marketing Officer at Klarna. Klarna is a Swedish fintech company aiming to make online payments as safe, simple, and smooth as possible for both consumers and retailers. You may also know Klarna as that super pink and super popular buy now, pay later app. Again, with us today is Klarna's CMO, David Sandstrom. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, David, we want to know more about you, obviously. But before we get into that, for people who don't know Klarna, one, can you tell us when Klarna launched? And mm -hmm. two, in your words, what is the service from a consumer perspective and then from a retailer's perspective? Mm -hmm. So, essentially, Klarna launched about 15 years ago. So we've been in the game for quite some, some time. And uh, we're originally from, from the Nordics here in Europe from Sweden. Um, we expanded our remit to Germany, then to the UK, and we established ourselves in the US about three years ago. Um, so, so we've also along that line, as you know, for many, especially tech companies, pivoted quite a lot when it comes to our strategy. Um, the strategy that we now have in the US is one that I truly believe in. But we started out 15 years ago really being a payments company. Um, also from a brand perspective, we were quite techy, quite blue, uh, B2B oriented. What we've launched in the US is something quite different to where we started 15 years ago. So what we have in the US right now is basically an all-in-one shopping app um, where we offer consumers smart ways to pay, now, personalized inspiration, great deals, and loads of shopping-related uh, services. Things like uh, spending overview or parcel tracking, digital receipts, return management. So, so in the US, we're, we're primarily known for, for really offering people smarter ways to pay, and at the core of it, a, an all-in-one shopping app. And, and if you take one step back on a company level, I mean, we're a fintech company. We've revolutionized the way people pay and buy things online, especially in Europe, now in the US. Um, and we're one of the highest valued privately held fintechs in the world. Wow. And turning back to you, what is your background and what brought you to Klarna? Um, I mean, um, I have always been a fan of uh, psychology uh, and marketing and consumer behavior. I have a background as a researcher, basically, within consumer behavior. So I used to analyze tons and tons of data. Back when I started, I'm not even that old, but, but I used to, to analyze a lot of telephone interviews. Then we obviously switched that to, to digitalized data and digitalized interviews. But I've always had a passion for understanding why people behave in a certain matter, especially related to brands and products like what and how, how we as marketeers can influence that. Like, why do people walk into a McDonald's instead of a Burger King or the other way around when they both sell burgers? Why do people go for a BMW instead of an Audi when it's made in almost the same kind of um, um, uh, industry? So, I mean, that, that, that to me is really, really interesting. So I started out um, as an analyst within Consumer Insights, then moved into strategy. And then just because I was so fascinated by the power of marketing, by the... Um, you know, ability of marketing to influence people. Not only, like, it's often unfortunately used to make people buy shit they don't need, <laughs> but uh, like the power of marketing to influence people to, to make better decisions or to 
you know, spark big, big shifts in consumer behavior uh, with the help of marketing and communication. That is, uh, I'm very passionate about that. Um, so I ran an advertising agency here in Europe for for almost seven years. Worked with some of the biggest biggest accounts over here, like Samsung, McDonald's, and um, Volkswagen. Um, so, so I'm I'm super interested in that, uh, and that is also one of the reasons that I joined Klarna four years ago. Because what we're seeing um, is happening in the world, uh, very much sparked in the US specifically, is a huge shift in consumer behavior um, that we're now together with some of our competitors leading. But I'm extremely intrigued by that. So what is happening is basically like if you take one step back, maybe get a bit too philosophical, is that like people have switched from paying with gold to cash, from cash to credit cards, from credit cards to PayPal, and now from PayPal to something new. That is much more consumer friendly, um, much more around the entire consumer experience, mobile optimized, uh, transparent, approachable, something new. And and that shift is happening really at scale here. Uh, We're seeing, especially millennials and Gen Z, abandoning credit cards en masse. They're paying down their credit card balance, Applications to credit cards are down with 50%. Um, and, and we just see entire generations being sick and tired of basically being screwed over by old legacy companies. And we're seeing this huge shift. And being part of that shift, I think that, that to me is highly inspiring. And how can we influence that shift with marketing? Right. As CMO at Klarna, what are a few key things you're trying to focus on? And maybe it's some of what you, you just spoke about, recognizing that shift. Yeah, I mean, on on the top level, that is really what we're working on. We are sparking a big behavioral shift in a market um, and also in a market that moves fairly slowly or historically moves fairly slowly. The the consumer consumer behavioral shifts, they don't happen, happen very quickly, but sparked by the digitalization and to some extent also unfortunately sparked by a pandemic. Uh, we're now seeing this huge shift happening. Um, And and, and that is on the top level. And we obviously don't only work in in philosophical terms like that. On the micro level, I mean, the the consumer growth that we need to to create on a daily basis, uh, that is something we're really focusing on. So it's the mix of building a brand that is modern, smart, approachable, and stands for a new era within payments and shopping, but also down to the everyday growth. Um, because one thing I've learned um, at Klarna specifically is that the best way to build a brand is to get people to use the product. Like people usually confuse brand building and building great brands with these huge ads and, and the Super Bowl or, or these big billboards that are brand building. That is just a way to reinforce a behavior that is already happening and reinforce um, a uh, an existing consumer, in my opinion, uh, to feel that they made the right choice. But in order to really build the brand, um, we need to create a usage of the product. And they're obviously building the structure around performance marketing, um, building the experience in the app, finding smarter and better way of partnering up with uh, uh, with retailers or other institutions to really drive the growth. Uh, that is That is what we're focusing on. That's really uh, that's really interesting about about how you view branding and, and for existing customers and not necessarily um, for acquiring them. And yeah, I mean, th- there is this old saying. I'm not sure if I get this right, but but it has really stuck with me that that 
attitude doesn't drive behavior, but behavior drives attitude. So basically, just because you like something, like the Super Bowl ad, you're not going to behave in a certain way and do something. But if you do something, if you use something, that is going to drive the way you feel about it. So, so basically, but what a lot of marketeers get wrong is they think that attitude drives behavior. So if we can just get people to like us, they're going to use us. That's not the case. It's the other way around. Get people to use you, and then they're going to like you because they understand the experience and they spend time with you. And, and that is also why the link between performance marketing and branding and partnerships at Klarna is just so tight because, because we're not delusional around the fact that only building a brand over here is not going to drive that behavior. Does that so, make sense? Definitely. And definitely a different take, at least than, than I've heard. So that's interesting. And we're going to Gonna, something to think about, chew on for ourselves here at, at our company. Um, Definitely. But um, spe- you, you brought it up, the Super Bowl ad. Uh, and when we booked this, by the way, I didn't even know that Klarna was going to be doing a, a, a Super Bowl advertisement. And uh, I saw it with Maya, Maya Rudolph, like an old, mm-hmm. old Western setting. So um, especially given what you just said, like take us into that. What goes into the decision behind, hey, we're going to do, not just we're going to do an ad, but we're going to do a Super Bowl ad because obviously there's, there's more investment there. And then part two of that question is once you decide you're doing that ad, what do you decide the ad will be? Or am I wrong? And it's actually the other way around. You kind of decide what the ad will be and then you're like, now we're going to put this in the Super Bowl because it's so goddamn good. <laughs> it's it's always a mix, right? I, I always want to, you know, I I I want to say that we have a rigorous process for everything we do and that we follow certain steps. But usually, when it comes to creativity and ideas, it doesn't work like that. It's just a back and forth and up and down all the time, right? Um, but but answering your first question, I, I think this comes back to a bit what I said. I don't think that the Super Bowl is a very good acquisition channel. I don't think that is a way to acquire new users. It is a way to build awareness. It is a way to show people that we mean business in the American market. Also, our industry and what we do is very trust-based. So at the core of it, we have payments. We handle, we handle people's money. Um, like the, It is very centered around trust and security. And there is a huge symbolic value to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying you run a Super Bowl ad and all of a sudden people trust you. But there is such a thing as the peacocking effect. Like we show our feathers with the Super Bowl in a nice way, in my opinion, right? Uh, we, we show both to retailers and to consumers that we mean business in the American market. And that is also against the backdrop of our industry being filled with a lot of small startups that only do this to make a quick exit. Right. Uh, we, 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 we know that from our competition, unfortunately, like they try to build something, they try to make an exit as fast as possible. To us, the Super Bowl had a very high symbolic value. Partly it was a celebration and a just statement that we're now seeing the right kind of momentum in the U.S. market. Like if the Super Bowl was a good vehicle for us to launch Klarna in the U.S., we would have done it two years ago. But that, that's not the way to utilize the Super Bowl, in my opinion. So this is a symbolic statement, in my opinion, to, to really showcase, hey, we're here to stay. We now see the momentum that we want to see. We're growing with about 1.2 million users a month in the U.S. market. Um, it's partly to, to showcase, hey, guys, you can trust us both on the consumer side and on the merchant side. So to me, I mean, it, it sounds quite fluffy, but to me, it's obviously a big awareness play. But also, it holds a lot of symbolic value, especially in the U.S. market. Uh, so that is why we did it. 
Awesome. All right. Um, speaking of gaining new users, we've we've noticed that in our data, and uh, and we do app data, so we we obviously want to ask you about the mobile app. Mm-hmm. Um, you you mentioned that Klarna has evolved a little bit here, and I think a lot of people when they think of Klarna, they think it's meant for buy now, pay later. But mm-hmm. you don't necessarily, um, or I don't think at least, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't necessarily need the app to do that, but the app probably has another value prop. Can you talk about uh, the value proposition that the mobile app has for people? Yeah, so, uh, so I mean, starting out with one thing, you're right. Like what we offer at our core is a smarter way to pay for things. Um, and the way you can do that, you can do that with our partners, with our integrated merchants when you shop on desktop, if you're integrate, if we are integrated into their checkout. And I mean, we're integrated into quite many like big marquee merchants checkouts, such as Macy's, Foot Locker, and Sephora. So we're widely available. With that said, we're not available at every merchant and at every retailer, right? Um, that, that's just the nature of the game. What the app does as its core is to enable that payment method wherever you want to buy. So even if you want to buy things on Amazon that don't have Klarna integrated fully into their checkout, if you utilize the app, we enable you to buy now, pay later with the app at any store. So that is at the core of what we do. But beyond that, like I, I, I usually say that people, they come for the buy now, pay later, they stay for the shopping services. So what, once you're in that, I, I do think what we're trying to do is to really, and I don't want to sound cheesy here, but enrich the shopping experience, right? I think what the industry has done, has they have seen shopping as very transactional. E-commerce is very transactional. You go somewhere, you put it into the basket, you pay for it, and you bugger off, right? Um, what we try to do is we try to really cater to what we call pre-purchase. A lot of people call it pre-purchase, obviously, but, but pre-purchase, where we offer uh, personalized inspiration, curation, content around shopping. Because what we've seen is that shopping is not a transaction to a lot of people. Shopping is a hobby. And, and when I say that, that doesn't mean that I want people to spend more. It's just people are interested in things. People are interested in fashion, in beauty, in technology. And I don't know, if you want to buy a new drone or a camera or a pair of sneakers, right? That is an interest. We want to expand our remit from being purely transactional, which is, hey, buy this drone, to actually talk about the drone or the, about the sneakers in a different kind of way. So, so what we're seeing is that shopping is a hobby. So that, those are the kind of sh- services we try to cater to pre-purchase. But also the post-purchase experience is getting increasingly important. So returns management, uh, actually here in Northern Europe, it's fantastic. In the US, I think it's uh, catastrophic. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the hassle you have to go to in order to make a return and get your money back. Uh, parcel tracking, getting in touch with the right customer support, financial overview, things, digital receipts, things connected to your purchase. So, so um, what we're trying to build with the app is, it, I don't want to sound too cheesy again, but it's basically a tool for people who like or even love shopping with the inspiration up front, with the post-purchase and all the tools in back, but also with a really smooth payment method uh, in the middle. Right. These pre-purchase and post-purchase sort of extra features, have they always been a part of the app or how has the app changed over the years? I mean, looking back just a couple of years, we only had the payment methods in the app. So what we've done is to really see, because at the heart, we're a technology company. And as a technology company, you continuously ask yourself, 
what's a problem I can solve for our consumers or for our merchants with the help of technology. So we don't see ourselves as a payment company per se or as a shopping company per se, but, but again, a bit philosophical, we are a problem solving company. So what we've seen is um, at the core of it, we offer payment methods, but then we collect a lot of consumer and merchant feedback on things they don't like with the consumer journey that is, or with the, with the shopping journey that is usually broken. So then we try to fix that. So people think it's a hassle to track their parcel. So we build a feature like that, or people think it's a hassle to, to return stuff. So we, we build a feature around that. So we're constantly expanding the universe around, uh, around Klarna and around shopping. And obviously we're, we're still a couple of years away from that, but we are highly inspired by what's happening in China. And, and it's interesting, just a, a reflection on my end is, I think probably 10 years ago, the only thing we looked at was Silicon Valley and the US. Like we only looked to the West, mm -hmm. speaking from Europe, right? Um, what, what we're eyeing very much now is the East, uh, where we see the super apps, uh, Alipay, WeChat really emerging with, like it would take an hour to explain what WeChat can do and uh, everything <laughs> around that, right? Um, and, and to some extent, what we're trying to build is a Chinese super app but adapted for the European market, for the European and US market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ambition is certainly high there. Um, <laughs> those, yeah, those apps are, are um, ridiculous, outstanding, lots of different words you could use to describe them yeah. for the, the, what you were just describing to me. And, and I think maybe the, um, the browsing of products and the uh, shipment tracking, it actually sounded like you guys might, do you view yourselves as competitive with Shopify's shop app? Because they have been introducing some of those features as well, but they're obviously a, a pretty different business at, at the core. Yeah, I mean, they are a pretty different business. And, and the, the, as with many industries, I mean, um, partner and competitor is almost the same thing in many cases. Like we, we partner on many topics, we compete on other topics. I think we're seeing different, like, what, what we can conclude uh, without answering your question directly is that this is an industry that is attracting a lot of eyeballs, a lot of energy and a lot of interest and a lot of money, right? Uh, because I do think online shopping is only just like it's in its infancy because it's, it's just, um, it's not mature yet in any way. So, so different companies are pouring into this space from different directions. So we are going into this space from a um, from a payments uh, from, from a payments perspective, right? That yep. that is where we started. What we're seeing now with Instagram and TikTok, they're moving into that space, but from an inspiration curation perspective. I don't know if you saw, but TikTok is now moving big on e-commerce. Facebook is moving into this space and Facebook Marketplace and everything around that from a social uh, social network place. Google is moving into this space as well, even further. So what we're seeing, and without answering your question directly, is that. We have a lot of different players that are moving into this space um, that is just at the moment um, um, underdeveloped in many ways. Like mm -hmm. some people think that we're like e-commerce is so technically advanced or so like it's just right. far off where it's going to be in 10 years. Um, so I think we're competing with a lot of companies. Like in many ways, we're competing with Pinterest, but Pinterest is also a really important partner as with Shopify. Like there, there are, yeah, so it's hard to say if we're competing or not, like we're, we are. And I, I think what we've seen, at least in the Chinese market, which is interesting, and also what a lot of our consumer research shows is that 
um, consumers will not have an endless amount of apps on their phone. And consumers will especially not have endless amount of apps on their phone that they use on a daily basis. So if that's three apps on a daily basis or 10 apps on a daily basis, or maybe 15 apps on a daily basis, I don't know, probably that is probably going to differ. Yep. We need to be one of those. Like, we, we need to be one of those apps. And, and that means that competition is fierce. Um, and Absolutely. it's not only direct competition, but again, like we, we are in many ways competing with Instagram, which is very inspiring. Um, yeah, that's that's very interesting to hear the the partner competitor uh, comparison. Keep, keep your enemies close, right? So, um, what, what what would you say? Um, you know, you talked a lot about um, acquiring new users versus versus um, catering to the ones that you already have. So, mm -hmm. do you have more of a focus on one or the other? Meaning, especially as it goes for the mobile app, acquiring new users or retaining existing one? Do you put more time, effort, or money into one versus the other? Um, I'm going to sound like a politician here when I answer this, but but I do think <laughs> we have the luxury of not having to choose. Um, many companies do due to budget restrictions or resource restrictions, but at the end of the day, we need both. Um, I, I, however, like if you would ask me, like we are at a stage at a, uh, as a company where user acquisition is just so important to us. And that is the way we, uh, we grow our company, we grow our brand, we grow our footprint. And as I started out with saying, like what we're trying to do at the end of the day is to spark a huge shift in consumer behavior. And, and that means that we need mass adoption of the products. Um, so, so when it comes to money spent, it's probably on acquiring users. Um, but we put a lot of love into user retention and really nurturing that. And we were one of the first, if not the first, to actually launch a loyalty program in our industry. We do a lot of content. We uh, that the community management part of what we do is important. So to really make people feel that that they're part of something, which is hard. I mean, um, it, it's uh, it's hard. But it, to me, it's a it's a fifty fifty. Uh, there's always um, there's always a lot of focus when it comes to KPIs and metrics when it comes to the the growth and uh, acquisition side of it. Um, also due to the fact like um, we're still in an industry that that. Uh, attracts a lot of investor eyes, um, and and that is an important metric. But also, I mean, uh, the the retention part is important, um, and uh, the reason for that to me as well is because it's a good testament of how good the actual product is. So, uh, acquiring users, you can you could do that purely with money. I'm not saying we are, but but uh, that that is a money and optimization game. But the retention part is actually a testament to. Uh, um, to the quality of the product. So we're keeping a close eye on our different cohorts, how those are developing, how many people are still using the app after 0, 3, 6, 12, 24 months is really important. Um, obviously, our stickiness and monthly active users, uh, daily active users over monthly active users, those are metrics that we track um, constantly. Um, and also, like I, I, I am a big fan of sticking true to the fact that that the organic user growth uh, should um, should be at least fifty percent. Um, so, so we don't want to pay for more than fifty percent of our our uh, growing base. Right. Speaking of retention here and keeping current users engaged, how does Klarna deploy push notifications? Are you guys pro push? Um, are you reserved uh, in some sense? Um. Now, I mean, uh, one interesting thing is that we operate in 19 markets. 
19 markets, quite different demographics on some of these markets as well. But also there is a different kind of marketing culture in these uh, in these markets. So um, we're partly having a kind of a different strategy in the different markets. The U.S. is very more acceptable when it, accepting when it comes to to push notifications and more what the Germans would call intrusive messaging. Um, so so there. Uh, we, we have way more um, guardrails around our communication and in some of our markets, Germany uh, specifically. Um, but with that said, I think the um, I, I can't give you a good answer because what we're doing is we're testing on a daily basis. So um, what I am a big believer in is obviously personalization and the ability for each and every individual consumer to choose how we should and how we should contact them, how they want to be contacted. So. Like for, for the US market, we probably have 2,000 different segments at the moment with different ways of contacting them. Like some love push notifications over emails, some want push notification when we have a good deal, some like push notifications if we've enriched the push notifications with imagery and, you know, the, the, like really made them um, desirable. Um, so it's not a binary question to if we do or if we don't. It is a question around the target audience um, and the segments. And we're still trying to find our way there and finding the right um, you know, um, contact pressure that we want to apply. Um, but, but yes, push notifications is something that we're using more and more. And um, we're seeing very good uplifts from when we do that right. Awesome. All right. Last question before we get into uh, just like a fun personal question. Um, you know, Klarna, you said launched about 15 years ago and then it was a much different product service. Uh, your your only real competition was probably Bill Me Later, which, mm -hmm. you know, PayPal bought. They transformed it into PayPal credit. Um, but the buy now, pay later space is even though you guys are doing other things, it's very hot, hotter than ever. You know, a firm, um, which was actually founded by Max Levchin, a, a PayPal founder, they recently went public. So mm -hmm. how, do I, there, there's a lot of noise around the space. Are you ignoring that? How are you handling the increased competition and eyeballs? Um, I mean, on a personal level, I love it. Sure. Um, we, we've been- As the CMO, um, you should. No, I love it. I mean, in all fairness, like t 10 years ago, we were this big company in Northern Europe. We had no real competition. We were like an animal without any natural predators. And, and the, the, like that, that makes you a bit fat and lazy and slow and, and you're not on your toes. Like what has happened now in recent years, both with PayPal, a huge company, huge distribution, they know what they're doing, um, but also the likes of Instagram, like TikTok, Facebook, everyone moving into this space. We get a chance to compete with the best, learn from the best, try ourselves against the best. So I actually love this. And although I um, sometimes I get, you know, on my bad days, I'm like, ah, oh, shit, yet another competitor. Or, oh, look at what they're doing. They're doing that so well. And, oh, but we should have executed that. Um, like, so many things, um, like, aggravate me almost because of the competition. On my good days, I really cherish that they do us better. Like, they really challenge us. They push us forward. They they make sure they that, that the competitive spirit in the company that we have really 
know, blossoms. So yeah, it's, it's good and bad, but, but in general, I, I think it's a, it's a luxury to be competing against the best in the world. Awesome. Great. Well, now we like to wrap up every segment with a fun question. So our audience can get to you, know you a little more, I don't know, maybe harass you online about whatever your answer is or something good like that. So because you are a guy who clearly understands the psychology behind shopping and all of that, have you ever made a regrettable fashion purchase or choice? Have you ever hopped on a, a fashion trend that you wish you hadn't and you made sort of like an impulse buy? Yeah, of course. Like one thing I've learned is that I shouldn't make fashion purchases while on vacation. Like if I'm in Spain or in Miami or Mexico, you know, you feel like a winner. You've had a couple of beers. You feel like you can take <laughs> on the world. And all of a sudden you're buying this hat or this kind of, you know, trash jeans. And, and in that moment, you feel fantastic because, you, you know, you're vibing. And then you come back to Stockholm, it's probably rainy, and you're like, what the hell is this hat? Or what are these jeans? So I, I avoid buying fashion while on vacation nowadays because it never, smart it, man. It never goes right. <laughs> exactly. That's really smart. I have to completely agree there. I think I made a, a one horrible purchase on a vacation feeling really good, thinking I needed an all-white, completely hand-crocheted dress. You don't need one of those, FYI. It is like putting on a ball of yarn. Um, so that's funny. Excellent. Yeah. Well, David, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us so much. And I uh, really, really thought your your insights and, and perspective were uh, illuminating. Well, thanks Definitely. for having me. It was a fun chat. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. This is it, what? Lucini pouring from the sky, let's get rich, what? The Jiki Vons and Sugar Dimes can't quit, what? Now pop the caucus, in the Vega and get lit, what? 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 Introducing Phantom of the Dark Walk through my head vent with levitation from reefers, drenching defense, and these seven show bolting with Rugas, flash vines, Bella Fonte, Digger. Let's get forward this work as we confiscate your figures. Yeah.